0: A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He tends his flock like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, he gently leads those that have young. says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God.
1: Hey, uh, this last week I was able to be with some pastors from around the United States, had a great time with just these humble leaders that God is using in a great impactful way. And uh, between one of the the sessions, there was a little bit of just a kind of a off, uh, I don't know, a conversation that wasn't a part of the, the whole, and the conversation kind of stemmed around what are you guys preaching this weekend? Because this weekend, if you're not aware, is a weekend of uh, of significance. Um, there is a game that is not um, not to be mentioned because the NFL has a copyright, and I would not want to infringe on that and cause a lawsuit to come upon Cornwall. So I will not speak of this game by name, but it does rhyme with blooper mole. But there will be a game that happens, kind of the culmination of a season. Uh, this afternoon, and, and the question that went around with these individuals is, what are you preaching on um, the weekend known as Blooper Mole Weekend? Uh, are you doing a one-off s- specific to this game? And, uh, and I thought about it. If I were to do a one-off sermon for specific for this weekend to somehow tie with that, I, I, I told them what that would be, and we all shared. Upon, uh, after further review... Um, I changed my call because I I found some things out this week that today the average price, average price of a ticket to this said game is $12,240, average price. That one of the players, as you well know, I won't name him by name, but he is one of my homies, uh, has a contract for almost a half a billion dollars. And that this weekend, Americans will lay down bets to the tune of $23 billion on this game. And I thought, if I were to preach on this weekend with this game, it would definitely be a tithing sermon. I mean, because if you ever thought, all the church ever wants is our money, no, no, that's football. That's football. And some of the, some of the pastors I talked with, they were doing that. But I decided that I would not tailor my sermon to this weekend, and I was swift to decide to do something different. Because while teams may... Teams may become tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. The word of the Lord will stand forever. Amen? Amen. All right. So I decided I would go ahead and stay with the plan of finishing up this series in Isaiah chapter 40. We've been looking at for five weeks this incredible chapter with our key verse coming out of verse 9 where it says this. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Behold your God. See your God for who he is. And we've just seen this. He spelled this out that first week of how incredibly gracious God is. We saw how gentle he is with the arm that rules the world, and yet it gathers his lambs and carries them close to his heart. We saw the greatness of God who, who measures the waters in the hollow of his hands and marks off the, the heavens with a span. Last week, we saw the, the wisdom of God that no one has ever been his counselor or his tutor, that he just knows all things. And today as we wrap up this series, we're going to look at one more kind of these uh, beautiful passages out of Isaiah chapter 40. But I began to realize over these last four weeks, we've been taking sections, one verse this weekend, you know, five this weekend, three this weekend, six this weekend. And we've been looking, kind of dissecting Isaiah 40. And my mind went to Mark Twain's um, comments about humor. He said that, that you can, you can explain humor, but it's like dissecting a frog. You will learn a lot about it, but you'll end up killing the thing in the process. And I thought, we've dissected Isaiah 40, but I hope I don't kill it. I hope it brings life. But what we've done is we've pulled out bits and pieces across. And so what I want to do today is I want to do something that I have never done in my 30-some years of ministry uh, as your senior pastor, is that I would like to read Isaiah 40 in its entirety for us before I get into our final sermon. I want us to not only see all these bits and pieces, but how they all tie together and see the beauty of this chapter all at once. Now some of you right now are thinking, he must be low on material, he's trying to fill time. It must be your first week at Cornwall then. (laughs) I'm never low on material and I'm never trying to fill time. In fact, this morning, Pastor Scott from our Skagit campus said, hey, I see that you went 46 minutes last night, any chance you're going to be shorter today? I mentioned something about snowball in a very warm place. (laughs) But I would like to read Isaiah chapter 40 in its entirety. And and I want you to just hear it all. And so if that means you you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If there is snoring, elbows are fine. But if you want to just look down, if you want to look up, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be in NIV. But I want you to just hear this, what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be made level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people... Our grass. Yeah, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. You see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand, Marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge? Or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. Oh, he weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor is animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless, less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. And a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. And they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner did they take root in the ground than he blows on them, and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard, the Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Oh, even the youths grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and fall. Those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, those who trust the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Obviously, none of you were raised Catholic, don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> what a chapter! Uh, what truth! Uh, and it's amazing today as we look at the final seven verses of this chapter, and two of which we've already looked at, so we won't spend a lot of time, but they, they go into the context because what it does here at the very end, the culmination of this chapter, is that it juxtaposes these powerful attributes of God with the personal attention of God. And, and they're not diametrically opposed, and they're not, they're not exclusively uh, different. They they're Actually, because of God's power to see his personal attention makes it that much more beautiful. So at the end there, in these verses that we looked at last week and, and the week before, when it says, to whom will you compare me? And, and who is my equal, says the Holy One. That's what we looked at last week. And then he just says, I'm not even going to let you answer. I just want to give you some instruction. Lift your eyes up and look to the heavens. Who's created all these? These stars that we looked at two, three, three weeks ago, these billions and billions of stars and galaxies and solar systems. Who's created all these? He who calls them out one by one, calls them each by name, And because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is, he's created them, he's named them, he's held held them in place. And it says, if God is saying, behold your God, if then, if God does this, if he calls them out daily, if he knows their name, if he holds them in place, then why, oh, why would you even question that he's aware of you? And this becomes really the kind of the whole purpose of why he's writing Isaiah 40. This questioning that they have, verse 27, where it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. That was the whole thing. Their world had been turned upside down. They were living in chaos. There was pain and difficulties, and their prayers were feeling like they were unanswered. And there was this question, Where are you, God? Don't you care? We feel like you have forsaken us, that you've forgotten us. Like, our cause doesn't even matter to you. And this whole thing about you doing the universe, I mean, if that's supposed to help us, maybe, maybe that has kind of a negative effect. Maybe the thing is if you're every day calling out these things by, by name, and we know how many there are, man, you don't have time for us. And if you're out there holding them in place, you're not here with us. You're in a galaxy far, far away. So we're so small. I mean, how would you even be aware of what we're going through? Years ago, there was a man named Bertrand Russell. He was a mathematician and a philosopher and a deep intellectual, deep thinker, and an atheist. And when he talked about the cosmos, he illustrates very clearly what we looked at a couple of weeks ago and the greatness of the cosmos. But his conclusion is a little hopeless. This is what he wrote. In the visible world, the Milky Way is a tiny fragment. And within this fragment, the solar system is an infinitesimal speck. And of this speck, our planet is a microscopic dot. And on this dot, tiny lumps of carbon and water crawl about for a few years until they dissolve again into the elements of which they are compounded. The vastness, yes, but this carbon and water that just sinks back in feels a little hopeless, But I don't know about you, when we looked at the size of the cosmos, doesn't it make you feel small? And I don't know if you've ever thought with all the things that are going on in this world and the nearly eight billion people on this planet, how could God even be aware of what I'm facing? How could he even hear my prayer? Why would he even care what I do? Now, I was thinking about um, that Dr. Seuss book, Uh, Horton Hears a Who. Horton was an elephant who heard uh, Whoville, this tiny planet that was on a speck of dust. I thought, "Eh, that kind of gives us this picture. This tiny planet on a speck of dust, and yet he hears that. Sometimes I feel like a tiny little guy on a tiny planet on a speck of dust in this cosmos. And I may feel inconsequential, but God is personally involved. That's the message that Isaiah is trying to get to them. Yes, you may feel small, you may feel insignificant, you may feel like God has forgotten you, but He is very He's not only powerful, He's very personal. He knows what's going on in your life. And so He wants to reassure them, to give them hope. Verse 28 He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yes, they knew they knew it here, and they had heard in the, te- in the Old Testament, they heard through the prophets. But they had forgotten it or it had gotten overshadowed by the circumstances of their situation in the world and all the stuff they were going through. And God wants to remind them. He wants to say, behold your God. I want you to see me again for who I truly am. And what's amazing is when he does this, he doesn't approach it from some philosophical standpoint. He doesn't approach it, you know, intellectually or, or scientifically or, or academically he again wants to approach it for them to look at him. He approaches it theologically. And this verse that we've already read or heard twice today, where he says, uh, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It's okay, so he's, he's everlasting, he's eternal, that's good, and he's a creator. Yeah, we know that, that whole deal. But I think there's something even Maybe subtle in that phrase. I don't know how it looks in the Hebrew, because I don't know Hebrew. But in the English, it kind of looks this way. It says, The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God. Everlasting would mean he has no end, no end to him. But he has created the ends of the earth. The earth that they thought was just always, has always been, and will always be. No, no, the earth has ends. A starting point and an ending point. And God, who has no end, He is sovereign over it all. In the beginning, God. In the end, God. God created the ends of the earth. That He has sovereignty over all that, transcends even time and space itself. And He's the everlasting God. That this God of ours, He's eternal and infinite. I think sometimes we, we kind of blend those, those two words, eternal, infinite, yeah, kind of the same thing. It's a matter of semantics, right? No, absolutely not. They're actually quite different from each other. You say, okay, well, that's fine. And so we're, again, seeing the magnitude of God and his characteristics and his traits and attributes of eternity and, and infinite and all that stuff. But what about my situation? <laughs> what about what I'm going through? That's what they were saying. It's great that God is, is, is big out there, but, but what about my little world? I think why Isaiah wants them to behold their God is that when you get a better picture of who God is, a clear image, a a great, accurate understanding, you begin to understand that that greatness of his eternal and infinite nature actually impacts us. Well, on the one hand, eternally, I mean, he has a perspective that we don't have. If he knows the beginning and the end of earth, I mean, he knows knows how things are going to play. He has a perspective we don't have but this eternal, infinite capacity to love each one of us. That he would love us eternally and infinitely. Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes these things. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Let me be clear, and this is not in any way to diminish anyone's love for anyone. God is the only one who can ever love you with an everlasting love. Your mama can't love you with an everlasting love. I'm not dissing your mama. My mama loves me, but she doesn't have as old as she is. She does not have the capacity to love me with an everlasting love. You know, sometimes I see on Facebook moms will post on their daughter, their son's 18th birthday, so proud of you, you're this, blah, 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 blah. All these, all the good things and wonderful. Yeah, right. And then at the end says, I love you to the moon and back. Well, big deal. (laughs) To the moon and back. That's it. I mean, seriously, when we were talking about the cosmos, what was two, three weeks ago, you remember that? You remember we talked about Milky Ways and galaxies and, you know, clusters of galaxies and all this stuff? We never even talked about the moon. Why? Because when you're talking about the cosmos, the moon is so close. Yeah, it's so close it can even pull water towards it. It's that close. The moon is 239,000 miles from here, give or take. Listen, last month I traded in my Toyota that I've been driving for the last 15 years It had 228,000 miles on it. I almost drove to the moon. (laughs) The moon is not that far away when you're talking about the cosmos. I love you to the moon and back. Well, good deal, mom. (laughs) We were talking about billions of light years. Do you know to go to the moon and back, it takes three light seconds? Oh, my mama. (laughs) Now, listen, I know, moms, you love your kids. But you don't have the capacity to love them with an everlasting love. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God chose us in love before the foundation of the world. Your mom doesn't have that capacity. And Romans chapter 8 says not even death or anything in the future will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He has loved us and loves us with an everlasting love. And not just his everlasting love, but that God is infinite. See, there's a difference between eternal and infinite. Infinite has to do with his capacity. That he's able to love us with all of who he is. Uh, My friend Jared uh, shared with me a couple weeks ago that when his oldest daughter, uh, uh, Mira, was, was born, He just felt this capacity for love he had never felt before. That it was amazing, this love that as a father for for this child, I mean, he would do anything. He would give his life for this child. That that he just had never experienced that kind of love. And then when Maggie, their second child, was born, he didn't have to divide his love. He said it was the strangest thing. It wasn't a division of love. It was a multiplication of love. He He didn't know he could love one child, and now he loves two at the same capacity. That it wasn't division, it was multiplication. And then when when Molly, their third child, was born, it happened again that he would love her even as much as he did the first two, that, that he just has this capacity to love even more. And to misquote Jesus a little bit, if Jared, being evil, knows how to love his children that way, how much more our heavenly Father can love each one of us that way? Without diminishing his love for you, God loves you with all that he has. St. Augustine said this, in God's infinite capacity, he loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. The full expression of his love, the full expression of his attention, directed to you and to you without diminishing that one, and to you without diminishing that one, and to you without diminishing that one, one. he is infinite in his capacity. A man named, uh, I think it was David Hubbard, said this, or Needham, David Needham, excuse me, He, he said this, that it's like if you were to stand on the side of the beach on a clear, calm night, and the silvery moon is shimmering across the waves, and on the sand that's wet, you see the reflection. And as you stand there, you see the moon, and in the full expression of the moon, there's no more here at this point that you can see, and you can see all the reflection, and it comes directly to you. You have all of the moon to see. But the person that's standing right here has all of the moon and the reflection to see without diminishing what you're seeing. And the person standing over here has all the reflection, the full capacity of the moon. God in his infinite nature is able to direct his full attention and love to each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. So yeah, Maybe I feel small and in an infinitesimal little dot in this universe. But God is fully aware and fully loves every aspect of my spec life. It's an amazing thing. You know when it says that, that he's created the stars, he knows their names, he holds them in place. I wonder if in Isaiah's mind he says I'm gonna use that again to kind of tie it into us. Because later in Isaiah 43, he says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, just like he created the stars. He who formed you, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, just like I do with the stars. And you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. See, the same way I am with these billions of stars, I am with you. I created you. I name you. I walk with you. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. And then he goes on and says this. He will not grow tired or weary. We'll skip over this. He comes back to this in contrast in just a couple of verses we'll get. And his understanding, no one can fathom. His understanding. Now, last week we talked about the omniscience of God, how he knows everything, that how God has this divine learning disability. Before you write me letters, listen to last week's sermon so you'll understand that, that he knows all things. He can't learn anything new because he already knows all that. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about his omniscience. It's not talking about his knowledge. It's talking about understanding, and there's a difference. God doesn't just know, he understands. And when he understands, it brings about compassion. It brings about empathy. It brings about about this understanding of what's going on. It's possible to know everything there is to know about something and not fully understand. Let me illustrate. This is a really poor illustration, but since I gave it to him last night, I thought you ought to suffer with it as well. I can know a lot about something and not fully understand it. So here's my illustration. I could do my study, get certified, and I could become a doula. I could walk with families as they birth their children. Doula Bob. That could be me. I could learn all the things there is to know about being a doula, and I could be not Abdullah, a doula. Doula Bob. Here I am. now. At that point, I could say, you know what, this doula thing is good, but I want to help a little more. And I could take some more classes and get some more certification and some more licensing and stuff, and I could become a midwife. Now I can actually deliver a child. I call the midwife. I'll have my own series. Call the midwife. <laughs> call Bob. Now I could do some more studying, go through some more schooling, and do an internship and a residency and get a degree, and I could become an obstetrician. Dr. Bob OB. Dr. Bob. Ob. That's what you call me, Dr. Bob-Bob. Now I'm a doctor. Now I'm a doula, I'm a midwife, and I'm a doctor. I can deliver babies, I can know all the stuff. I will never understand the pain of giving birth. <laughs> and I don't want to understand. I can know all about it, but not understand it. God not only knows all things... His understanding, no one can fathom. And because he understands what you're going through, and he knows and understands what you'll face this year, and he understands the pain of the past, and he understands all of how you have been treated, he understands it all. He knows exactly what we need. So it says, so he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak because we need that. And and then he he does this contrast, a verse earlier, you know, where it says that he will never grow uh, tired or weary. In verse 30, he says, even these young, strapping, resilient, strong youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. It's just going to happen. If you feel like you're invincible, there will come a day. There will be situations where you just tire out, where, where, you, where you stumble, where you realize, I can't do it all. And then he comes to this culminating verse, the verse that most of you are more familiar with in Isaiah 40 than any other verse. He gets to this verse, and the key of this final verse it's not about us, you know, kind of trying to work harder, do a little bit better. The key of the whole verse is behold your God. This God that he's been pointing out, this God who is gracious, this God who is gentle, this God who is, who is great, this God who is all-knowing, this God who is eternal, who, who creates the ends of the world, the God who never tires or gets weary, this God that, that he gives strength, that he gives power. This God whose understanding no one can fathom. Behold your God, this God. Those who wait on this God, those who trust in this God, those who hope in this God. Behold, if you will do that, then, and he lays it out, the promise of the will. And four times in this final verse, he says, these things will happen. This will happen. This will happen. This will, not this might happen. We want this to happen. We wish this would happen. We're praying this will happen. We hope it. no, 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 it's the promise. It will happen. And the will is connected with the power of the verbs, the things that will happen, the, the things that, that will take place. And so I want to read this final verse that is so familiar to so many of you. And I've kind of put in those colors of the will and the verbs just so you can see the promise that God has said. If, if we'll trust in him. If we'll hope in him. If we'll wait on him. Verse 30, 31. But those who hope in the Lord, they will. Renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. John Ortberg in his book, um, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, uh, Spend some time towards the end of the book on this verse. And in that uh, chapter, he, he writes, explaining that, that ornithologists, those who study birds, say that birds have three different kinds of flight. One, there's flapping. Flapping is effective, but it takes a lot of effort. A hummingbird, he says, can flap up to 70 times per second, 4,000 times a minute. Very effective to keep them in air, but there's a lot of work. And sometimes we live our life flapping, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of activity. So there's another kind of flight, and it's gliding. This is common if you've ever seen a duck land on a pond, if you've ever seen a blue jay or a robin come into your bird feeder. They'll take the, the speed and the altitude, and then they'll just kind of lock their wings and glide in. And it's, it's great, and it's good, but it only lasts so long with the power of the, of the gravity and the, the forces of physics. It just kind of it, it won't go on forever. But they glide, and it's good. And then there are those birds, some birds, that can soar, birds like condors, eagles. How many birds can't soar? Ducks and blue jays can't soar. An eagle with a wingspan of six to seven and a half feet wide, these powerful wings, will get in these thermals, these these upward drafts of warm air that come up from the earth And they'll just get in those thermals and they'll start spiraling up to 10, even 15,000 feet high, even above the clouds. And they'll just soar. Eagles have been clocked soaring at 80 miles an hour without ever flapping, just soaring. And they can soar for hours effortlessly on the wind. And sometimes when you're waiting on the Lord, hoping in the Lord, trusting the Lord, You're in a season where you're just soaring. It's just effortless. David Hubbard said, when we look at Isaiah 40, verse 31, we have to live that one phrase at a time. Because sometimes in our walk, we do soar. Our journey with Christ, we're soaring, or the fellowship is sweet. The worship is deep. The time in the word is rich. The prayers are answered. It just seems so effortless. Enjoy that. Be grateful for that. Don't take that for granted. But there are seasons in our life when it's not soaring, when we're running, and it takes effort. Oh, it's doable. But there's discipline, there's choices. I mean, it's, it's good, but it's by effort. But there are also seasons in our life when we're not soaring, and we're not running. It takes everything we've got just to put one foot in front of another. When we're not sure how we're gonna make it through another day. Those times when the prayers aren't answered and you wonder, did God forsake me and forget me? And it's a sheer act of will to pray, to worship, to be in His Word, and to trust Him. Ortbrook says this, Maybe God prizes our walking even more than our soaring and running. It's in those times when it's not easy, doesn't even feel doable or at least sustainable, and yet we don't give up. We don't quit. We hold on, and with His power, we decide will continue to walk. See, Jesus understood this. Jesus had moments where he was soaring. I would imagine at his baptism, baptized by his relative, his cousin John the Baptist, and to hear the voice of the Father and the Spirit to descend on him like dove, he was soaring that day. I would imagine when When he sent his disciples out and they came back talking about how God had used him, he was soaring that day. It's working. On the Mount of Transfiguration where Elijah's there and Moses is there and he's there in the presence of God and God's voice, he's soaring on that day. The day he called Lazarus from the grave, he was soaring. No one ever soared any higher than Jesus. But it wasn't every day. There were days when he ran. He ran. Ran with the frustrations of the disciples that can't seem to get it right. The deep heartache and the frustration of the religious leaders who are making it more difficult for people to come to God. To put the burdens of legalism on them and the judgment that comes with them. The day that he overturned the money changers in the temple, he was running. It was effort. But he could run a long time. that road to Calvary he wasn't soaring that day and where he carried a cross on a bruised and bleeding back he wasn't running that day a young man of 33 years of age grew tired and weary and stumbled on that day but he got back up saying not my will Your will be done. And he kept walking. Isaiah would prophesy about this in Isaiah 53, this chapter, of the suffering Savior, where it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Behold your God. He understands. His understanding. No one can fathom. So today. Some of you are in a season of soaring. Enjoy it. Thank God for it. Rejoice that things are just amazing right now. Don't take it for granted. Lean into it. Some of you are in a season season of running. And it's doable, but there's effort. Continue. Continue running. Continue serving. Run with perseverance. The race marked out for you, as it says in Hebrews 12. Continue giving, continue reading, continue learning, continue worshiping. Some of you don't know how you're going to put your foot in front of the next. It's all you've got just to walk. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yes, you know. Yes, you've heard. You just don't see it right now. You don't understand God's plan. But if you will wait on the Lord, if you will trust in the Lord, if you will hope in the Lord, you can know that he is fully aware. He sees. He cares. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's promised. You will be restored in your strength. You will walk and not fail. You will run again someday. You will even soar. But you wait on the Lord. And back to the very beginning of this entire chapter in Isaiah 40, verse 1, where the prophet comes to these people who are feeling so discouraged. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. So let me just say this one more time in closing. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host, one by one, and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, Not one of them are missing. Behold, your God. So why? Why would you complain? And why would you say my way is hidden from the Lord? My my cause is disregarded by my God. Why, Why would you say that? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And gives power to those who are weak. Because youths will grow tired and weary. And young men will stumble and fall. But when you wait on the Lord, when you trust in the Lord, when your hope is in the Lord, you will renew your strength. You will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. Behold your God. Father, I pray that the truth, the picture of who you are, that we would have an accurate understanding. And in the seasons of life that are difficult, we would come back to this truth of who you are. Father, I thank you for those in this room and online today that are just soaring with you. What a blessing, what a gift. Those seasons of sweet fellowship with you. Father, I pray for the many who are in the race, running every day in obedience. And God, I especially want to lift up those who right now are in a season where it is so difficult to just take another step. I pray that they would hold tightly to you. They would let the pressures of life push you into, push them into your caring arms and not away from you, that they would behold their God and know your infinite, eternal love for them. Strengthen them and empower them. God, may we walk in the reality of our great God. We pray this in your name.